All right, welcome back to the Nebraska Athletics Podcast, uh, episode four, I believe. I'm Jeremy Foote, joined here by Brian Rosenthal, a senior writer here at Nebraska Athletics. Um, so, Brian, we're still we're still in the heart of fall camp, um, talking football today mostly. Um, we're going to be joined by Dave Ellis later, uh, new head nutritionist here at Nebraska. Hopefully, you can give us some insight on um, you know what what uh, he's trying to implement here and uh, how important nutrition is for not just the football team but the entire department. Um, so yesterday. We learned some new things about the Husker offense, kind of specifically quarterbacks. Let's see if you wanted to dive into that and see what uh, Coach Walters had to say and your takeaways. Yeah, it was an offensive coaches and players day yesterday with the media. Uh, yesterday actually being for uh, on Wednesday. If you're not listening to this podcast on uh, the appropriate day for us to say yesterday, it was yes. on Wednesday. Yes. And, yeah, we learned that Adrian Martinez and – Tristan Jebbia are going to be seeing the bulk of the snaps from here on forward, meaning they'll be splitting the reps in practice with the number one offense, and they'll rotate day by day as far as who takes first and who goes second, etc. Andrew Bunch will still get some of his reps, but it's a big clue that this race is pretty much down to two people right now, a redshirt freshman and a true freshman. And as we all know, or maybe not everybody knows, but a true freshman has never started the season opener here at Nebraska. So if Adrian Martinez were to somehow inch his way forward, uh, he would make history here at Nebraska. So I think this week is still an evaluation week from what the coaches were saying, and then next week they'll probably try to narrow it down and, and make some decisions so that going into that game week they know who their starting quarterback is or uh, at least have a good idea. And they'll probably go ahead and announce that too so everybody knows and uh, the person who's the starter knows, and they can zone in on game week and, and give the, the starting reps to either Adrian Martinez or, or Tristan, whichever one it may be. So that was a little bit of the news from uh, the offensive standpoint in practice on Wednesday. And um, something that we learned actually from Coach Chenander on Monday is the team had a scrimmage this weekend inside of Memorial Stadium. Um, sounded like kind of both sides, both defense and offense, saw some good things out of that scrimmage. Um, I know they do a lot of hitting in practice, but this was probably the first time where they really, really got after it. Um, did you learn anything from both the offense or defensive side on where they thought the team's at after seeing them scrimmage? Yeah, I, I think the scrimmage was, was good for both sides. I think the offense is coming along. I still think maybe the defense has a little bit of the upper hand. And we still hear about the creating turnovers and, and interceptions and uh, Deontay Williams from what I understand, is one of the interceptions leaders in the secondary, or for the entire team, actually. So that's good to see from uh, one of the JUCO transfers who's battling for a starting spot of safety. But it sounds like the defense continues to make progress, uh, particularly with, uh, as I said, forcing the turnovers and whatnot. So tackling seems to be going well. Uh, I know they like to be out there in full pads and fall camp and hitting and really getting physical, but there comes a time where you're tired of hitting against each other and you're ready to go hit somebody else. And I think we're probably approaching that time about right now where uh, we're kind of in the throws and the fall camp, the dog days of fall camp or preseason camp. So they're probably getting ready to um, wanting to go out and hit somebody else here pretty soon. Coach Walters kind of went into that. Um, I think he got a question about how you kind of avoid that mid-fall camp drop off and he said you know that's something we're really working on good great players those guys stay at the level or get better 
and then you have to avoid the other meltdown of certain guys that start to tank at this time and so the real battle for the coaches is keeping everybody at least on level or the thing they live by is day by day get better day by day so yeah they, they need to they need to do that and I, I know that Scott Frost has been very pleased with the last two practices in particular the practice on Tuesday that was coming off an off day and I think that historically and there's not a lot of history here we're talking a, a couple of weeks plus spring ball but I know coming off a off day in the fall, maybe their practices weren't as crisp, maybe a little bit sluggish coming off an off day. That was not the case on Tuesday. They were very, very pleased, had one of the best practices of the preseason camp, as a matter of fact, and that was coming off an off day. So I know he was very impressed with that and then saw them carry it over to to Wednesday. So uh, consecutive days that they practiced really hard and well, and I, I know that he tells them, hey, boys, this is what we need to see day after day. Keep it up this way. Good. Um, one guy you brought up a little bit ago is Deontay Williams. Deontay Williams, a junior college transfer out of Jones County um, Junior College in Mississippi. He's originally from Jacksonville, Florida. Um, actually, a sophomore. He was there for one year, so he has three years of eligibility here at Nebraska. But I know you wrote uh, a piece on on Deontay or this this week. Fans can find that on Huskers.com. Um, what what's some things you learned about Deontay? Well, for starters, he had a long, winding road to come to Lincoln. He's from, as you said, Jacksonville, Florida, and was a very highly touted recruit coming out of high school and committed to Florida and then committed to Georgia, I believe, and neither one of those worked out. He actually was going to go to Ohio with Frank Solich. That didn't quite pan out. Academics, I think, was one of the main culprits in there, and... He ended up going, as you mentioned, to Jones County Community College in his home state of Florida. And then his very first game, his freshman year there, he had a knee injury. He had a pretty good game, too, in that opener. I believe he had a, a fumble recovery and four or five tackles and then played well. But that injury ended his season. Fortunately for him, he was able to get that back as a medical redshirt. So he was able to count that as a redshirt, had a stellar sophomore year, again committed to Florida as he did out of high school. And of course, Florida had the coaching change the same way Nebraska did. And he heard from Scott Frost and thought that he would be a a good fit here. He came to Lincoln uh, in mid-December, visited, and the rest is history, as they said. And he's very happy to be here. He's the son of an NFL player, Roosevelt Williams. His father played for the Chicago Bears. And Travis Fisher, the defensive backs coach in Nebraska, played against his dad when Travis was playing with the LA, excuse me, uh, the uh, St. Louis Rams okay. at the time. So they played against each other, the uh, the Rams and the Bears, Roosevelt versus Travis Fisher. So he knows his dad, and uh, he says Deontay is a different type of player, still a really good player in their own right, but different than his dad and really kind of stands out on his own and has made a lot of progress this fall camp. Just with how thin that kind of secondary position has been, kind of inherited from last year to this year that seems like a spot where fans may see a lot of new faces here I think there's some positions where it's going to be kind of a lot of the same guys offensive line or um, well offensive line defensive line linebackers a little bit maybe but defensive back that seems like maybe that's the the whole defensive backs uh, corners safeties nickelbacks that kind of seems like the spot where the most influx of of new players has been at yeah, you'll see Deontay in there, and obviously, obviously Trey Neal at safety. 
played at UCF. He's a fifth year graduate transfer who knows Scott's Frost system and Eric Shenander and everything. So he's a, a main guy at safety to keep an eye on as well. And I, I think you'll see those two battle uh, with uh, Antonio Reed for for one. And I'm trying to think of the fourth uh, guy. Aaron Williams. And Aaron Williams, obviously. There you go. Yep. So uh, two Williams is back there. There's a lot of Williamses on this team. Yes. Mike Williams is a wide receiver. Uh, wide receiver. It's like the days of the Browns. Yes. And had all the Browns on here and still have had recently. But anyway, uh, yeah, you're right. There will be a lot of newcomers and influx of talent and – uh, with Deontay Williams, he's not just a safety. He could play corner. He could play nickel. In fact, he would probably play any position on the team if you let him. He was an offensive player, did a lot of quarterback, running back, wide receiver in high school. Kind of figured that his niche would be on defense, though, in college. So he was prepared for that. But he's on all special teams units. I think he'll be a big factor there. And that's one thing that we really haven't talked about in in preseason camp is this the special teams units and how they're going to approach this because they want their best players on special mm-hmm. teams and i think for the first time in a very very long time you'll see a nebraska team that really makes an emphasis on game-changing plays and special teams i think for many years it's been let's just you know status quo let's not screw up let's you know get the ball exchanged, whatever. And there really hasn't been a lot of game-changing big-time plays on special teams. And I think that'll take a change of course yeah, this year. Yeah, other than I'm thinking back to DeMornay's freshman year where anytime he caught the ball, you think you thought he might take it to the house. And then obviously he had the injury and almost had an entire year after that that took him a long time to get back. But, yeah, it seems like since that there hasn't really been that guy that you Haven't had out, a lot of block out. kicks. Haven't had a yeah. lot of turnovers forced. Okay. Yeah, every every now and then you'll have a you know a, a guy in there in return who you think might be a, be a threat. morning obviously one of them. But JD ran uh, kickback last year, I believe. JD yeah. Spielman. Yeah, and he's back this year too. Yep. So yeah, they they have had. You're right. They have had a couple of threats on return, but I guess maybe I'm thinking more defensively. Uh, yes, special more teams on the when you let's can try and block. Let's, yeah, let's, let's, let's try and block a kick. Let's try to change the game here yep. with uh, forcing turnovers, blocking kicks. Tackles for a lot, you know, big big plays on special yep. teams, game changing type plays. Um, so let's see, we're like you said, we're kind of winding down fall camp somewhat. We've got roughly, well, we've got the rest of this week practice tomorrow. Um, Coach Frost will speak after that. Uh, practice Saturday. Team is off Sunday, and then you've got uh, practice next week. School starts Monday, I know, but I believe they're practicing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, again, the Sunday off, and then you're into game week. Mm-hmm. So we're basically uh, we're two, weeks, two, two weeks from Saturday. We'll, we'll be uh, turning on the lights at Memorial Stadium for kickoff that night against Akron. Um, speaking of this Saturday, um, I'm sure all fans are already aware of it, but we have fan day, football fan day at the stadium, uh, 6.30 to 8.30, I believe. Um, we've got uh, information on Huskers.com all about that. We have a new map. We have a map. There's going to be kind of might be something good for fans to go check out because it's going to be a bit different of a setup this year. I believe all of the team lines will be on one side of the field, kind of going east to west, and then the lines will kind of do the same thing. They'll stretch basically across, across the, field the field from sideline to sideline. Um, one thing I'm sure a few people are going to be there to want to get Scott Frost's autograph. That's what I, I've heard. I, I'm assume um, Scott is actually going to be in a different location than usual, so far as back as I can remember. Um, the head coach has usually been in one of the end zones. Um, Scott is actually going to be 
kind of underneath of the stadium, kind of near the locker room. So fans, his Scott Scott's line will actually kind of run down the east side of this of the stadium on the apron inside of the stadium, but uh, um, to try and help with flow of that. So as again, go to huskers.com. Um, we've got all kinds of information about what time to get there, where gates open, where to come in, um, everything you're going to need to know. Um, something along with that, uh, we just rolled out a new app last night slash this morning. Looks pretty sharp. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a whole new game day experience for fans. Um, we still have things like roster schedules that they're all going to need. Um, and then on top of that, there's a lot of new parking information that fans can find. Um, all of our radio streams will be in there. It's all completely free. So our last... Um, See, their phones are ringing off the hook wanting to know all about this yes. new app. Even though we're not live, people are just, the ears are buzzing. <laughs> um, so we've got that. Um, I think we're going to do some kind of, it's not for certain yet, but if you're a fan coming to Fan Day, install the app before you get there or install it once you're there. I think we're going to try and do some kind of giveaway related to an autograph of some type. So if you are coming to Fan Day, get the app ahead of time. It's in the Google Play Store. It's in the App Store. Uh, it's named Official Husker App. Also have information online, direct download links. So uh, we've talked football, and I think now we're going to roll into our interview that you're going to do with Dave Ellis, and I'm sure he can educate us even more about football. And welcome back to the Nebraska Athletic Department podcast. I'm Brian Rosenthal, and I'm joined now by Dave Ellis, the Nebraska Director of Performance Nutrition. And Dave, welcome back to Nebraska, first of all. Great to be here. It's great to have you back, and you were here with Nebraska's big run in the 1990s, I believe you founded the nutrition program in 1994, correct? That's correct. Um, I went, I've been here, this is my third time through Nebraska. That's I right. started out as a snotty-nosed undergraduate in the weight room, <laughs> working for Boyd, and uh, there was no full-time nutrition position, So I, but they let me on that staff, actually, because I was studying nutrition. Mm-hmm. So they were feeding me responsibilities gradually, and then I jumped up with Alvarez from 90 to 94, and. Uh, 1993 for his start up there at um, and we got through the first Rose Bowl in um, Wisconsin's history and won it uh, as far as winning it and then came back here for what was an unprecedented run really as far as a consistent winning program that Dr. Osborne pulled together. How did the idea initially of a director of nutrition come about? Did you kind of promote that? Did, did the coaching staff and strength staff here say hey we need something like this or how did it initially come about well you know when I came back um, the momentum you know I've always given Tom a lot of credit for having a vision for the value of fueling for his athletes and wanting someone that could really roll up their sleeves and get in the trenches and help Mm -hmm. his athletes make better decisions when they did something as fundamental as walking that training table um, so whether it was nutrition or strength or medical or academics or um, psych or sleep, Tom was way ahead of his time on piecing all those high-performance elements together. And so I always tip my hat to Tom for that kind of visionary aspect. of you know Most head coaches are just worried about recruiting and mm-hmm. X's and O's. Tom was like so secure in his own skin that he was way out ahead of everybody on all these other elements. That was really a big deal. Of course, Boyd, uh, you know, was a huge advocate for what I was, what it, the nutrition piece. Strength coaches uh, don't get much payback on their hard work in the weight room if the athletes are underrested and par- you know, improperly fueled. So, um, strength coaches have historically been great advocates on the nutrition front, also. 
Can you remember a time when they really saw a difference with this? Obviously, it was 94 when it started, right? Mm-hmm. Could you tell a noticeable difference, like, within a year or two years or anything like that? Can you, like, put your finger on something like that, that you saw a noticeable difference in athletes and how they looked and performed because of nutrition? Well, you know, it's probably a percentage play would be the accurate thing. To, and I'll use Tom's own words here, you know. If nutrition is a 1%, 2%, 3% advantage when you get to the mm-hmm. top of the level of competition at a, a you know, championship game, then that's huge because if you've pieced together a few 1% difference makers, that could be the, the difference in a close tilt. And um, so I've always used that approach to try to explain how nutrition's value could be, but it could be much bigger for certain individuals. Mm-hmm. Undersized athlete needs to gain muscle in the off season. Nutrition is a big factor that they didn't have pinned down. That could uh, give us depth where we didn't have it. And you have an athlete that needs to lose body fat for uh, acceleration and burst, um, you know, power expression out there on the field, and they, and they can't get that fat off. But nutrition helped. That's a big difference. And so, to a man, a roster evolves in the right direction for more muscular, leaner. Uh, then they go out on the field as a team. They march out on that field bigger and leaner. That's a pretty different team, I always say, getting off the airplane and marching into somebody else's stadium that can inflict quite a bit of damage and chaos on the road and, and uh, not just at home, which we love. So, yeah, I think nutrition's a real deal. But I always also say hey, great coaches and athletes are the ones that win games. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the sandwich we ate at lunch. <laughs> what kind of sandwich? Yeah. <laughs> Depends on the sandwich. sandwich. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. You mentioned Coach Osborne. He was. He's always at the forefront of all these things, and you mentioned the percentages, anything that can give us an edge. Mm-hmm. How long did it take other schools to catch on to the nutrition aspect of it? And, like, maybe who were some of the other schools that followed suit, and how long did it take it before everybody was, hey, this nutrition thing is something that helps? Yeah, well, and it was, we, I didn't know how far ahead we were until I went into the private sector and started mm-hmm. consulting, and it was... Uh, not a real eye-opener. I was getting pulled in 5, 10, 15 years later to advise organizations on how to move the needle on the fueling front and high-performance fueling front, only to find that they weren't any further down the road than we were 20 years ago Wow! when I walked in the door. And so it was, it was actually not that challenging going out and consulting because I could really just teach people what we were already doing, um, give them some structured give them a vision of value of what fueling really delivers. It usually dealt with uh, having some infrastructure to actually do some feeding in a real kitchen, real chefs, real dietitian to write the menus and bring the food to life in front of the athletes to meet their individual needs. And, you know, that all costs money. You know, I mean, what you'll really find is the people that haven't got it right yet on the fueling front out there in sports are still squirming in their seats and sitting on their wallets. Mm-hmm. It costs money to feed athletes and to have that kitchen and to have those chefs. But the payback, you know, first of all, it's a fundamental welfare issue for the athletes it, beyond performance. They deserve to be fed. They're not getting paid, but they sure ought to, have to get uh, get fed for the what they endure as student athletes. It's one thing we can really do for athletes now that we've deregulated feeding in 2004 at the NC2A rules level. And so people are just catching up now, post-2014. Yeah. I mean, guys, we're, we're 
we're still ahead of the curve on what we are doing here now and we're getting ready to I'm getting ready to instill a, a next level of evolution in what we're doing here on fueling that will put us back on top. End of story. We can talk about Nebraska's training table. We can kind of fill in fans a little bit of what that is. It's for all student athletes at Nebraska, correct? That is correct. And it's for three meals a day? Or is yeah. it two? Or is it? Well, you know, athletes actually need to eat about four or five times a day. True. So, you know, what we do is between the uh, food that's at our training table, um, there are there are things that look like meals and there are things that look like snacks and we have fueling stations that they can go to incidental to their workouts where they can consume more snacks um, but at the end of the day we try to get something breakfast, lunch, dinner and a snack before bed that would resemble a meal for any other human <laughs> um, but these guys will often look at it as a snack um, and then on top of that right after they before or after they work out there might be another intake so it's not uncommon for these athletes between chewing some food up four times a day and then snacking incidental to their workouts another two intakes for us to be you know getting something in them six times a day you know five to six times a day it's a lot of feeding yeah yeah as I understand it, Coach Frost wants, he's requiring football players to do the training table nonstop, correct? That's correct. And, and that's not been that way recently. I mean, athletes, mm-hmm. as far as football players, had the option. They, they could if they wanted to. They didn't have to. Is that correct? Well, I wasn't here when, in the last 17 years to, to witness the degrees of support for eating or not from mm-hmm. coach to coach. But I can tell you that Scott is fully dedicated to it. Uh, our current strength conditioning coach, Zach Duvall for football, is, like any other strength coach, really gets the value of the fueling piece for a payback on all that hard work to do the work and to recover. And Coach Frost follows his lead when it comes to taking that advice and making, you know, if you give athletes a check for food, it might turn into blue jeans in that food, right? So. I think it's wise to always partition the the feeding portion of a scholarship off into a food supply that can't be monetized that you consume and, and that um, people that turn it into a, a check or gambling that it will actually be consumed that money will be spent on food so that's just the wise thing to do with any any college population and the training table we should mention isn't like uh, the Valentino's buffet or the buffet that the media has before games with Valentino's pizza and as I sip on my Pepsi over here, um, we have we're talking really healthy and it's it's good food here too. I've eaten at the training table several times. It's it's good food too. I mean you have a, a good staff of chefs and cooks and whatnot. But can you kind of explain the types of uh, areas of the training table, the different types of foods, the different types of stations, the labels you have on everything. It's its pretty sophisticated setup over there. Yeah. I learned a long time ago that you can spend a lot of money on food, but people will ultimately shop with their eyes on what it is they're going to eat. And so we learned that you could put out a good food supply, but people could still go in and just eat a plate of bacon if they wanted to, right? Yeah. You know? So you have to teach the athletes, educate them on how to use the food supply. And then when you partition it into, group the food into specific value stories or, that have a, a similar benefit, um, and then have them stop and get something from each of those areas, then it makes sense to the athlete. Now that, that food supply has become more systematic, 
with regard to going in and, and satisfying, and we put three criteria together. Food that keep them from getting sick, immune food, foods that have an impact on your immune system. That's really like fresh cut fruit and vegetables, nuts and seeds, healthy oils that come from those nuts and seeds. Um, there's a, you know, that's kind of the basis of the Mediterranean diet story, those items. Then there's the carbohydrates that athletes need because they're doing a lot of work and they're burning through a tremendous amount of energy and primarily what they use when they sprint and lift weights or carbs. So it's the breads and the pastas and the potatoes and the cereals, um, starchy fruits like bananas. Anyway, the carbs are pretty inexpensive to have uh, at any given meal. We have several sources and athletes crave it. If they're training hard, their bodies naturally crave carbohydrate and they need more when they're training and less when they're not training. Then the protein sources, I always laugh, we could hide in the parking lot and these guys would find them because it's, you know, the chicken breasts <laughs> or a piece of steak or, you know, eggs or, but we diversify protein between animal sources, dairy sources, and there are some vegetable sources of protein too, like uh, the nuts and seeds and legumes, or beans or peas. And so we have protein sources. We try to teach them how to diversify, not just zero in on. Animal proteins are super valuable to, to, to mix it up because we need to get some from dairy and vegetable proteins also. So we have the protein sources. We label them green, yellow, red, green being lean, medium fat, yellow, high fat, red, so that an athlete that's trying to mobilize their body fat, lower body fat, can go in and use the green items, keep it very simple. And, uh, but it, more than anything, if you're in the buffet when they're going through the training table and you're in the servery area where these three steps are, the athletes will just walk up to you with their trays and show it to you and say, hey, what do you think? And you have a chance to, like, coach. And I don't, you know, like to hover over their shoulder unless they ask, specifically ask for it, but they just spontaneously walk up to you and show you their trays. And then you have that aha moment where they're coachable and they want to learn. Mm-hmm. And I also office in the weight room for a reason because that's another time they're thinking about their bodies. And, and if you're in the weight room when they're training, you can have a number of great interfaces also with athletes on the fueling story and how to go about doing it. And so there's all kinds of things. You know, we try to be around the athletes in their foot traffic from weighing them in in the morning during something like fall camp um, to, you know, um, being there at the training table and being around when they're lifting weights, if you're around them, then there's always a chance to interface. Do you have specific diets for specific players? Say you have a defensive lineman who's trying to gain a bunch of weight or something. Do you have like a certain calorie intake that he has to have and vice versa, somebody that, you know, maybe he's trying to slim up or uh, a different athlete, maybe not in football. Uh, like how many calories a day would you recommend somebody like that have? And how is that different? Sure. To have for each athlete. It's about a functional range of about about as low a calorie intake as you can give an athlete when they're injured or sick is maybe about 13 calories per pound of body weight. And when you get to the trying to survive training camp, it might be 23 calories per pound of body weight. And so a 250-pound athlete right now might be looking for around 5,700 plus calories. And, you know, that's a lot of of tabling, folks. That's a lot of eating. Um, you and I would look at 5,700 calories and we couldn't get through a fifth of it, you know. Um, these athletes, you know, are, are struggling to maintain their weight if they don't get all that food down. Yeah. 
And we have to use often uh, liquid sources of calories in addition to what they eat at mealtime. And that's where the fueling station That's come where in. the fueling station comes in. Very, and we're blending in the, weight, in the training table too now. Yeah, yeah. So we've set up blenders to where an athlete can come through and uh, they can augment what their total calorie intake from the blended item along with the meal that they're eating. And so that really works well. And you have like a fueling station outside the weight room. Yep. And there's one at the Vanny Center, the Hendricks training complex correct correct yep. they always for the athletes over over there yep yeah absolutely so for all our athletes there's a way to fuel incidental to workouts mm-hmm. before during and after then there's the unprecedented training table setting that we've had over under the west stadium for all our athletes all these years mm-hmm. um and there are vast majority of schools have are still just catering something into a room somewhere and don't have any control over the quality of what it is they're feeding their athletes because they haven't just put that fundamental uh, training table infrastructure in place. And we're a self-operation training table in that we not are not forced into any buying groups on uh, food supply. We can go find the best sources of food for our athletes. So, you know, we're always really interested in working with partners here in this, the Midwest that are uh, fond of Nebraska athletics, beef producers, pork producers, poultry. Um, that had kind of faltered a little bit over the years. We're going to gear that back up. We want, you know, the best quality thing at the best price we can get, and we're going to gear all that up. That segues into my next question. What are some changes, David, you're looking to make here is upon your return as the nutritionist at Nebraska? You know, it's happened in a lot of spaces. Um, Number one, that training table does report to me. That was a prerequisite for me coming back that I would be able to initiate changes down there. So we are working on that right now um, with regard to, you know, evolving the menus, a little more variety over time um, so the athletes don't see the same thing over and over uh, with too much repetition where they fatigue on eating there, which can happen over multiple years of exposure. Uh, we've got you know athletes from all over the country that come to compete here, and so you have to be able to write menus that are div- culturally diverse menus to to match the diversity of our rosters. And so I think there's always room for improvement there, and um, along with the quality of the items that we're getting, as I mentioned, you know. So you know, I'll give you a couple simple examples. Just since camp started, a high calorie athlete needs more uh, can go into that training table and use something like more avocados, nuts, or seeds to, for extra calories, or they could go through the drive through and get french fries and fried food. The smarter way would be the nuts and seeds and the olives and the avocados. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, you got it. So, like, you know, we, we've got to teach the athlete. we got to innovate the food supply, teach them how to use it appropriately to support their energy demands, their, um, facilitate recovery. And so there's a tremendous amount of education that would be the next big thing, teaching athletes how to use our resources, being engaged, you know, building relationships with our athletes to where they'll... They want to do it. That, that they are engaged enough to, to buy into doing it. That's right. So you got to, as you know, Tom always told me years ago, Dave, I need you to sell these guys on nutrition. I need you to sell them on the value of it. And, you know, I need you to roll your sleeves up and get out there and work with them. And nothing's changed. I've been operating that way all my life. One quick question before I let you go. How do you go about feeding athletes for road trips, for road games? Are you in charge of that? Do you oversee that? And what types of food 
I'm assuming you have to carry this over to, to road trips and sure. pre-game and, and post-game and everything. How do you go about doing that? A lot of precautions, actually. Yes, I've got all those responsibilities. So we're talking about now um, building their hydration level up, going into competitions. You almost want to hyperhydrate the athlete with salty foods that make them retain fluid. So if they go out into tough climate conditions wearing pads, in a hostile environment and they're sweating buckets, we've got a margin for error because we've had them hydrated going into it. So we use a lot of, uh, you know, um, savory, brothy, salty items in the menu that help build up plasma or blood volume. We uh, put a lot of high water foods into the mix, like really like watermelon and cut melons, and they're super wet. We, you know, like right when they walk off the practice field, you've seen the melon feeds we've got. We've got guys that will go out and lose seven or eight pounds and eat seven or eight pounds of watermelon and, and drink before they weigh in and they'll actually gain weight. So, I mean, wet, heavy foods are really a smart thing. we got to make sure their carbohydrate levels are topped off that second step in the training table because it's going to be an emotional, physical, challenging tilt. They're going to burn a lot of carb and don't want to come up short there. You know, if a muscle's smartly trained and it's it's – recovered from the workouts and the practices of the week. It's well-fueled, it's well-hydrated. Um, you know, we've got eight far enough ahead of the game to where it's far enough down their GI tract, it's not gonna be a nuisance to them once they get out in the field and start exerting themselves, and we've done our job. Mm-hmm. And if all of a sudden, in the third and fourth quarter, the other team's cramping and we're not, and the other team's on their knees during snaps and we're standing tall, our hands on on our head, that's intimidating. People look across the field and they know they're in for a real scrap with a team like that. I remember teams like that here. We had some teams like that. Yeah. Stared some, went in and beeped those people on their home fields, right? Remember first national title in Miami? Those guys were on Warren the ground. Warren Sapp, yeah. On the ground, panting. And we stood over and looked, stared them down and beat them. That was a huge milestone for us as a program. And it's fun to think that you were a part of that. It's, I would think. Those were some tough kids. They were great. That was a heck yeah. of a wonderful group of athletes to walk back into my first year. Yeah. And uh, the, the precedents that they, the precedent they set that the other teams tried to live up to and did so successfully was really an amazing exposure. And to kind of wrap up here along that, how do you see the athletes here now uh, responding to what you're trying to teach them? It seems like they're so receptive to everything wanting to win, wanting to get this program back on track. They're eating up every word Scott Frost says after practice, and it seems like they're very receptive. What are they like with you with uh, with nutrition, Dave? They have been wonderful. Um, I know Tom, or I mean, Scott had me jump up in front of the uh, team along with um, Zach, and, and we were the first couple nights that they had team meetings at the start of camp, and I literally showed them a diagram of what they weren't doing right in the training table and how they were all standing around waiting for an entree and they were blowing past the salad <laughs> bar. And then the next day I went down there and the training table people's hair was all messed up and they were in a lather and looked at me and said, what happened? They're cleaning the salad bar out. And I'm, I was kind of <laughs> laughing. I'm like, no kidding. They're very coachable. They are absolutely yeah. soaking it up. And um, that's really rewarding. That's really cool to be around a group that sat hungry. And I'm watching it on the field at practice. I'm seeing... Um, them grow every day. Dave Ellis, Director of Performance Nutrition, uh, thank you for being with us, Dave, and best of luck to you, and go Big Red. I appreciate it. Thank you much.